Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us, that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. This morning, I want to share with you what I've come to learn a little bit about the fruit of the Spirit referred to as goodness. You know, when I think about goodness, it seems such an insipid kind of word, doesn't it? It's like saying being nice. You know, what does that mean? But goodness in terms of the scriptures, I learned is really kind of a neat thing and something that uh, the Spirit of God needs to in- generate and to produce uh, within us. So let me share some of my thoughts with you. As we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, we're finishing up with, uh, the, or we're beginning the second cluster, but the first cluster of these nine f- aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are Godward in nature. Now, I wouldn't be 100% on that, but generally speaking, when you think of love, joy, and peace, these first three aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, they are, in a sense, we could say, more Godward in nature than the others because we read of things such as the love of God, the joy of the Lord, and the peace of God. Peace of God, not only of God, but the peace with God. When you look at the second cluster, this patience, kindness, and we're looking at the last aspect in this second cluster, they seem to be, not exclusively, but seem to be focused on our relationships with others. So we are to be tolerant. That's what the word patience really means in the Greek. We're to be tolerant of others. We're to be kind toward others, and we are to do good for others. Kindness really focuses on felt needs. Goodness is similar in nature, and we'll see some distinctions this morning. The third cluster that we'll finish up on, it takes us into September. But you know, September is right around the corner, and we've got Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. So we need to, in preparation for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's a time of reflection, a time of introspection, the Yomim Narayim, those ten awesome Days, those days in which the Jewish people are sort of taking inventory of their lives, confessing their sin, getting ready for Yom Kippur. I think that's a good thing to do. We all ought to be taking inventory of to what degree are we walking faithfully before the Lord as believers. How are we in terms of our surrendering, as we sang, of ourselves to the Lord? To what degree? Are we concerned about certain attitudes that we might have or or dispositions? To what degree are we desiring God to take hold of our hearts and to transform us and to make us more and more like that of Yeshua? So in preparation for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, it's good 
to think about those things because even John tells us if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and by his spirit to empower us to live righteously as well. You know, scripture speaks about the righteousness of Messiah being imputed to us. That's a theological term. It means the righteousness of Messiah is credited to our account. It means that when the Lord looks at us, he does not see our unrighteousness, but he sees the righteousness of Messiah. And therefore, we stand declared righteous. That's the word justified. We stand declared righteous before God. In our own actions, we're not very righteous, but in Messiah, we are fully righteous. And that's how God sees us. But what God is also doing is not only taking that imputed righteousness, which is a reality by which we stand before God righteous, but he takes that imputed righteousness and by his spirit he empowers us to demonstrate what is a reality imputed to us in actions and in attitudes. And so the fruit of the spirit is in reality the righteousness of Messiah manifested in our lives by means of the spirit of God. Because Messiah is love. As the scripture says, God is love. This is, these are attributes, characteristics of God himself. He is good. He is faithful. He is gentle. Yeshua himself says, take my yoke upon, uh, upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle of heart. Messiah is self-controlled. And in many respects, when we think of the death of Messiah... And his sacrifice for us as atonement, he was demonstrating self-control in perhaps the greatest degree. Did he not say, I can call down legions of angels to deliver me? But in his self-control, he sought to do not his will, but the will of him who sent him. So when we get into the last three, it will lead us into the observances of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. This morning, we want to look at goodness. The word goodness, by the way, it's the word agathos. We get the word ag, uh, ag, agnes from that and uh, agathy. These are names and it means to be good. But goodness has a very wide range of meaning. But when we look at Galatians chapter 5, of course, the fruit of the spirits, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. When you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, we're given the works of the flesh in contrast to the fruit of the spirit. And one of the works of the flesh is the word envy. And that is the opposite of goodness. Well, why so? Because envy is a spirit that will not accept the prospering of another. Envy is that that attitude we have of sort of parallel to jealousy, whereby we are not happy when other people are prospering. And that's why it's called a work of the flesh. That's why Paul speaks about our rejoicing with those who rejoice. And envy is just the opposite. It's not a rejoicing in other people's prosperity or prospering, but rather a grudging spirit that is not happy about such things. Goodness, by the way, from a scriptural point of view, means to be like God. That's what it means to be good. It means to be like him because he alone is the one who is perfectly, perfectly good. Goodness is more than merely having high ethical standards. It's a characteristic produced by the spirit of God. 
It has its roots in the depths of the very triunity of God himself. So it's very easy to counterfeit goodness because, and I would say the counterfeit of goodness is being nice. But being good is really a manifestation of the Spirit's working in one's life in order to benefit others. It's more than merely doing good things. It's the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts that is then impacting the world around us. It demonstrates the righteousness of Messiah as we live our lives day to day empowered by the Spirit of God. He enables us to do good things, but it's not merely doing good things. It's doing good things motivated by the very love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts, that is manifested in our hearts. To what degree do we go out of our way for others? To what degree do we sacrifice ourselves for others? Those are the kinds of things that manifest the the goodness about which this uh, aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is speaking. In the book of Hosea, very interesting passage I came across. It says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? This is God speaking about his people Israel. What shall I do with you, O Judah? Ephraim is another term for the northern kingdom of Israel. Judah is a phrase for the southern kingdom of Israel. You remember after the death of Solomon, the kingdom split. So what he's really talking about is what shall I do with you, O Israel? Both north and south. Not just Judah, not just Ephraim or Israel to the north, but the whole nation of Jewish people. What can I do with you? This is Hebrew parallelism, right? We've talked about that. Hebrew poetry. And so the first line, or I should say the first line is repeated in the second line. So they're both saying the same thing. What shall I do with you? It's an expression of frustration. I can't seem to get you to live the way I want you to live. I can't seem to get you to be as obedient as I would like you to be. It's almost like when we raise our kids and they keep doing the wrong thing. What am I going to do with you? And that's what God is saying to his people. And what is his problem? What is God frustrated about? He's frustrated that their love for him and others is false. Their love for him and others is surface in nature, but there's no depth. It's like dew. In the morning, the grass is wet, but by the afternoon, it's dry. It's not consistent. It's not dependable. It's not reliable. It's not ongoing. It's just transitory. It's like dew that goes away. That's what your love for me and for others is like. Goodness is meant to be consistently demonstrated by us. Otherwise, we're just doing nice things, but we're not manifesting the goodness of the very Spirit of God. We're like Israel. One moment we're nice, the next moment we can be envious. One moment we're praised for being nice to someone, the next moment we're not willing to go out of our way no matter what. God is desirous that this is a consistent trait produced by the Spirit of God. The result is not just niceness, but goodness. And so goodness is produced by the Spirit. It's constant. It's consistent. It's not short-lived, but it's ongoing and it's dependable. It's like that person you can call no matter what and they'll be there for you. That's the way we're supposed to be for one another. That's the way Israel was meant to be. That's the way we as the body of Messiah. When we think of that which is good, 
when we think of that which is uh, goodness, we're thinking of things that are admirable. We're thinking of things that are praiseworthy. We're thinking of things that are commendable. When applied to God, it refers to the accumulation of all of his qualities by which we speak of as his perfections. That's a Jonathan Edward term, and it's a very Puritan term. But when we speak about God as being perfect, what we mean is his perfections are complete. And what we mean by his perfections are his moral qualities, one of which is his goodness. And his goodness is comparable or parallel to his grace, his mercy, and his love. So in Psalm 23, these are the things that struck me. David writes, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart. God would dwell with him from from beginning to end. And if God is dwelling with us, his perfections are also being perfected within us. And from beginning to end, goodness and mercy will characterize my life. I love that phrase. I remember years and years ago, this pastor that I sat under, he was preaching on this, and he said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of of my life. And he turned around and he said, come on, goodness and mercy, keep following me. You know, that kind of thing. Well, that's the idea that goodness and mercy characterizes us. It follows us around. Wherever we are, there they are. Why is it possible? Because the Spirit of God dwells within us. And if the Spirit of God dwells in it within us, goodness must be present because one of the fruit of the Spirit of God's presence is goodness. In Psalm 27, I, shall, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, a perfection of God, His goodness. How is His goodness seen? Well, He'll give us strength. He'll encourage our hearts. He'll give us long-suffering as we just not wait but we wait in faith and hope for him. It's not just waiting. That's how we oftentimes think. Well, I'll just have to be patient. No, no, no. Now we have to be patient in the Lord. Now we have to wait for the Lord. Not just waiting, but waiting with a sense of hopefulness and expectation. Now, this is a really interesting passage. In Exodus 33, when Moses desires to see the glory of God, it says, this very thing that you have spoken, this desire to see my glory, I will do this for you. Is that not incredible? And he says, I'll do this, for you have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. Moses said, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. The word is tov, you know, tov, tov ma'od. I remember when I was in Hebrew school, whenever I'd do something well, my teacher would write tov ma'od, very good. I didn't get a lot of those. That's why I'm very much aware. I always worked for him, but not a tov ma'od this time. But it says in Exodus, Tovi, my goodness, my good. And so what does he see? 
when Moses is put into the cave and God covers the cave a little bit. He puts him in the recesses because he says, no one can see my glory and live. So God's trying to protect him. He pushes him all the way in the back around the corner. And then it says he covered it over so that his glory would not be destructive. And when he passes before him to show him his goodness, what does he see? He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That phrase is equivalent to the idea of being generous. When it says he's abundant in love and faithfulness, he means our God is a generous God that gives his love and faithfulness over and over and over and over again, generously, without restraint, without begrudging it. He gives it all without any restrictions, abundantly and ongoingly. That's what it means to be good. It means to be generous with your time, generous with your life, generous with your money, generous with your talents, generous with your abilities. It means to be a giver of whatever you have with great liberality, expecting nothing in return. Just like that little boy. What could that little boy who has no mother or father, six years old, he can get little rubber duckies, he can get all kinds of toys, and he can give it out liberally without any thought of return. He's just there, here, I'd like to give this to you. And that's what it means to be good. In light of the contrast, we saw goodness equals to be generous. What does it mean to be generous? Generosity is a disposition to give to others without any thought of return from them. Without any regard as to whether the recipient deserves it or not. That little boy doesn't know who these people are. He doesn't know if they're deserving or not. He only knows they have a need. And that's us too, isn't it? We have a great need. We are lost and dead in trespasses and sins. We are not deserving. But God in his generosity has extended his abundance of grace and love to us. It's simply providing for others what will make them happy. Isn't that what the young boy was saying? I just want them to smile. I want them to be happy for a moment. And that one girl who starts covering her face and so on. You have to imagine what went on in her life that she had no happiness or a little amount of that. And that's the point of one for, Psalm 145. The, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all. How does he show forth his goodness in Psalm 145? I went through the Psalm. Check this out. First of all, he upholds all who are falling in verse 14. He gives them food. He provides for us what we need. In verse 15, he satisfies the desire of every living thing, our needs. What is it we desire and have a need for? He does that. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. He fulfills the desires of those who are in awe of him, who respect him, who honor him, who, in short, fear him. He is good to all. In what way? You just call out to him. He lets the sun rise on the just and the unjust. He has the rain on the just and the unjust. He's gracious to all of us. And his most gracious gift he wants to give is the gift of eternal life. And all we need to ask is, Lord, would you save me? Would you transform me? 
Would you apply what Messiah has done on the cross to my heart and to my mind and to my soul? Would you make it applicable to me? And the Lord's saying, you didn't even need to ask. You didn't need to ask because that's why he came into the world to save sinners. And so the Lord preserves all who love him, all who loves him, all who love him. Goodness, then, is the focal point. It's the center. It's the heartthrob of God's moral perfections, of all of his qualities. It's the center of it. And therefore, all of his qualities are manifested by means of it. He loves good. He's faithful good. He, is, he provides good. In other words, the thing that enables him to be all-powerful and be a God whom we love and who loves us is that his power is demonstrated through his goodness. If it wasn't, he could be a dictator. He could be a tyrant, right? He has all power. But how he operates his power is by means of his goodness. That's the focal point. He cannot use his power in a way to harm others. He uses his power out of his goodness. By means of his goodness. Otherwise, he'd be like a dictator. He could be destructive. He could just say, you know what? Poof on you. But he doesn't. Why? Because he also is good. And therefore, his power has to be exerted by means of his goodness. And so the psalmist says, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 106, 7, 18, 36 have the very same phrase over and over again. So while one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, it's a fruit of the Spirit, we are also commanded, commanded to be good. Romans says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Not just filled with the knowledge of God, which is certainly important, but if we are filled with the knowledge of God, we must also be good people. Because one of the things we would know about God is his goodness. And therefore, we are to be good people, not just well understanding about the goodness of God. In Ephesians, walk as children of light, for the fruit of life is found in all that is good. That's a real challenging phrase, isn't it, in verse? If you're walking in the light, you have to be good. Because the fruit of light is good, is goodness. But this is a real powerful passage in 1 Thessalonians. We always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good in your life. That's what God is about. He's trying to make us into good people. That's the big question. Am I a good person? I forget what movie that was. You know, someone asking their wife, have I been a good husband? Have I been a good wife? Have I been a good child, a good son, a good daughter? Have I been a good student? Have I been a good worker? Have I been a good employee or employer? Have I been a good pastor? Have I been a good follower of Messiah? Have I been a good member of our congregation? Those are hard questions. But they're questions that Paul is saying about the Thessalonians. You have been good. And you have been demonstrating that goodness. In Galatians... So then, this is right after chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
So two questions remain. In what ways has goodness been seen in our life? And in what situations or with whom ought we to demonstrate goodness where it might be difficult to do so? That's probably the best place because where it is difficult to do so will require the Spirit of God to make it possible for us to do. Now, one last thing in bringing this all to a conclusion. I couldn't help but think of Messiah in this respect. Because in the three Gospels, Matthew chapter 19, Mark chapter 10, and Luke chapter 18, we have the same story retold to us of a rich young ruler that comes before Messiah. In Matthew and Mark, it only says a rich young man. But in Luke, he uses the Greek word that means a ruler, which suggests to us that he was a synagogue ruler. It says that this man ran up to Messiah and kneeled down before him. And he said, good master, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And, or to inherit e- e, uh, the kingdom of God or eternal life. And Yeshua's response is really interesting, isn't it? Because if it was you or I, we'd say, oh, pray this prayer with me. And invite the Lord into your life. But Yeshua's first words is, why do you call me good? And the reason he does that is because this man does not understand goodness as the Bible has just taught us. He doesn't understand goodness because he has cheapened it. How has he cheapened it? He's come before the Messiah of Israel, called him good. But then when the Messiah of Israel tells him what constitutes goodness, and if you read it carefully, you'll notice that is the second set of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say, love the Lord your God with all. He says, he says to him, obey the commandments. He said, I've kept the command. What commandments? He doesn't say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, don't covet your neighbor's things. Honor your father and mother. Everything that has to do with relationships with others. Why? Because goodness has to do with how you relate to others. So he says to him to keep these commandments. And the ones he tells him are the ones that will define whether or not he understands what the word good means. He called Messiah good master. Now he's telling him the good commandments. The commandments that necessitate goodness toward others. And he says he's done them all. So then the Messiah says to him, one other thing then you must do. Sell everything you have and follow me. At that point, he balks. Why? Because he had a lot of things to give up. But what does that reveal? He does not, it revealed, he does not understand goodness. Because if he understood goodness... He would have known that the one he just called good master would only give him good commandments. And thus, he would have ran, run, ran to obey that commandment. And he would say, I'll get my agents on it now. I'm selling everything. I'm following you. What it revealed was he didn't understand what goodness really constituted. He cheapened its meaning. He thought he might say to him any number of things other than following him, no matter what he would command us to do. But he's not defining whether or not he himself was good. Certainly we know he's the good Lord. But what he was helping this young man or to understand, this rich young ruler, 
is that goodness consists not merely in the words we use, but in the actions we produce and we do. So this stands. In what ways has goodness been seen in our life? Have we truly been obeying the Lord who we recognize to be the good master of our lives? And with whom or in what situations do we need to demonstrate more goodness toward? And with that, let's pray. And let's ask the Lord to shed a light on that for us and to empower us by his spirit to manifest this fruit of the spirit called goodness. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. You are indeed a good God. And all of your actions, all that you do is prompted by your goodness. You are good with your power. You are good with your knowledge and thus you share it with us. You are good with your grace and thereby you have provided redemption for us as well. And so, Lord, by your spirit, you have placed him in our hearts And one of the things he desires is to produce goodness in and through us. Lord, shine the light on those areas of our lives where we need to be good. Shine the light in those areas in our lives where we need to be more generous with what you have entrusted us with. Help us, Father to obey you, to rely upon you, for we call you good. And may we thereby realize all that you expect of us would only be good things. For we pray in Messiah's name and for his honor and glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.